Lord, who shall dwell in thy tabernacle, or who shall rest upon thy holy hill? So starts our psalm for today. Turn with me to Psalm 15, please. It is found on page 372 of the Pew Bibles or page 357 of the Book of Common Prayer. I preach from the New King James Version, so the Pew Bible will be the words that I use, but I'm pretty sure most of us could you know, use the, the prayer book and still accomplish the same end. <clears throat> so, Lord, who shall dwell in thy tabernacle, or who shall rest upon thy holy hill? This question is of the utmost import to us humans, isn't it? Who, O Lord, will be with you? The question has immediate implications and eternal. Can I be at rest with God now? Will I spend eternity with God on his holy hill, or will I be somewhere else? It's a rather important question. We find the same question all over the Holy Scriptures, just using different language, if you will. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? Asked the psalmist of Psalm 24. Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Asked the rich young ruler. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Say the men to Peter and the apostles on Pentecost at the birthing of the church after Peter preaches that they just killed their Messiah. And there are many more such questions throughout the scriptures. The human condition is one that continues to have an abiding sense that the current condition is not the right one. That to live rightly is to go against the grain of our fallen passions and desires. In the history of the world, there have been very, very, very few atheists. In fact, the number is minuscule. And that tiny little bunch of people have said, there is no God. Mankind has been looking for God and communion with God from as far back as we have records to show this fact. Mankind has also been trying to get back to God to repair the breach. He has been trying to find a way to the top of the hill garden and live in peace with his creator from the beginning. The way to do that, to accomplish that goal, surmises every culture on the face of the earth throughout history, is to appease and to work one's way up that hill. A very cursory skimming of historical records will show that that's the case. The problem, of course, with this approach is not that working at being better is a bad idea or that the noble idea of service as seen throughout the classical world, for instance, is inferior 
to the pursuit of power and control over one's neighbors and fellow humans. The problem with this historic approach is that it won't work. That's the simple problem. Not that good deeds are bad things. Not that loving your neighbor, serving your neighbor is a bad idea. Not that the classical idea of the virtues from Aristotle and others is wrong. It's just that it won't work. God cannot be in communion with man without the sacrifice of Christ. Without the grace of the crucifixion and resurrection being applied to the problem. Once we get that reality, once we understand that truth, then we can understand that the ascent up the hill to God is hard work. We can understand that service to our fellow man is our calling, actually. And that such service is pleasing to God when done in response to God's love for us in sending us His Son. It is not appeasing God, but pleasing God that is at stake in our service and in our work. (coughs) Excuse me. To remind you of uh, an image I used not that terribly long ago, there's an old medieval story. Don't know the roots of it myself. Perhaps one could track it down. Uh, The title that I teach in my classroom is St. Joseph of Arimathea and the Hill at Glastonbury, or the Glastonbury Thorn. Oh, now I can't remember. Um, Anyway, St. Joseph of Arimathea, the legend uh, that we read in middle school at St. Andrew's Academy. St. Joseph is uh, called to to bring the gospel to Britain. And I think I mentioned last time that there's actually a a number of hills that are really intriguing literarily and historically. Um, In the legend, he gets to... Um, Glastonbury, basically. The legend, I don't think, names... It might name Glastonbury. But he climbs a hill called Weary All. And last time I preached on this, I used it. I said, that's the Christian life. It's a hard life. It's not a bed of roses. And we have this same idea here in ascent. And so Weary All, Joseph climbs, and it seems like the more he climbs, the more tired he is and his, and his companions. And... In that vicinity, there is the Tor of Glastonbury, which I've brought students to and climbed, which is, was kind of amazing. And there was a monastery on the top of the hill in the Middle Ages, by the way. It's a big hill. But it stands by itself completely. It's, it's wild. And then there's... Oh, and when Joseph Arimathea in the legend gets to the top, he plants his staff, which is from the Holy Land, and it's a thorn tree, and it bursts into bloom... And is now the thorn tree. And in Glastonbury, for centuries, there was a thorn tree. I mean, as far back as anyone can remember. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. Someone, of course, in the last, I think, ten years, um, defaced it and chopped it down. Um, 
but there, I mean, I've seen videos where guys are saying, well, here's the tree. And that's on another hill. And then also in the local area, there's a hill called Wirral Hill, W-I-R-A-L, which they know is basically the, the end result, etymological end result of weary all. So there's this fascinating place of literature, history, and Christianity uh, over there. But it is the hill idea that we've got in our psalm today. The ascent up the hill that Psalm 15 implies in the first verse is exactly what man has been trying to do for millennia. In Christ, that ascent is exactly what we do in worship today and every time we come to God's holy table. Our calling from God is to ascend his holy hill and join the chorus of angels, archangels, and all the company of heaven, including the church of all ages, in their worship of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Our liturgy imitates that which is going on in heaven because that's what we're joining God made clear to Moses that what he was building and making and establishing in the tabernacle and the temple, eventually, was a copy of the heavenly. Jesus is our high priest now, presently, in the heavenly temple. And your priest on earth is his subordinate, his under-shepherd, copying, if you will, what is going on in heaven. <clears throat> the ascent that Psalm, one, Psalm 15 implies in the first verse <coughs> excuse me, is exactly what man has been trying to do forever. This liturgy is work. It is your work and it is my work. We may have different jobs in the work, but we all work together to ascend the holy hill. Says one commentator, if the goal described in this psalm is one of abiding and resting, the process there too is called climbing. Who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? We surmise it involves a climbing, a resolute resistance to the force of gravity. We know that going up is more difficult than going down. Therefore, we would be rightly suspicious of anyone suggesting acquiescence in the aboriginal gravity of our fallen state. We have to fight against that gravity. Doing what comes naturally is scarcely the path to ascent. To go with the flow is invariably to go lower. We can be certain that to climb this hill will involve stern effort, struggle, adherence to irrevocable duty. If this sounds like good works on the way to heaven, that that's our job, then you are hearing correctly. None of the first generation of reformers eschewed good works, certainly not the English reformers. What they wanted to make crystal clear was what I said earlier. 
God cannot be in communion with man without the sacrifice of Christ. Once the grace involved is understood, then we need to understand our duty of good works. Another context to understand this duty of good works in the life of a Christian is to think of it covenantally. The scriptures are quite clear that we are in covenant with God. Our relationship with God is a covenantal one. And in a covenant, there are ethical requirements of the participants in the covenant. In marriage, the bride and the groom take vows, and those vows are meant to be kept. They are the ethical obligations in the marriage covenant. Treaties between nations are similar. There are expectations regarding what each nation will do or not do in order to keep the peace or the accord or what used to be called a covenant. To be in covenant involves, or particularly to be in covenant with God, uh, implies ethical obligations. Things we must do and things we must not do. An example mostly of the latter would be the moral obligations contained in the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. One of the examples of the obvious there is thou shalt honor thy father and mother. Another example of the things we must do would be the greatest and second greatest commandment Love God and love your neighbor. Our psalm today gives us exactly this glimpse and notes the mention of both avoiding the evil works and living out the good works. Who may abide with God on his holy hill? Look with me at the psalm. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change, he who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. God sets out in his holy scriptures the rewards for being faithful to the covenant, for avoiding the things we must not do, and working in goodness to God and our neighbor, doing the things, the good works that we are called to do. That reward is called blessing. God promises to bless us as we are faithful. Ultimately, that means, as in our psalm, abiding in God's tabernacle, dwelling in his holy hill. That abiding in God is our ultimate goal. And it is our present reality if we choose to make it so and realize the grace of God given to us for our peace, here and now and for eternity. Come to the table, my friends, and abide in Christ. Receive his peace. Be strengthened for the fight and for 
doing good works. Amen.